1: know the permanency of difficult times know that it's permanent know it's for the whole church age know that it's, it's here to stay You're, we're never going to wake up one day and have all the problems of the church solved we're never going to wake up and everything will fit we're never going to reach a point where organization and the right things moving and clicking and there'll never be any more problems that'll never happen that's a, that's a fool's paradise to think that that would take place. The church age means that there are going to be problems.
0: As it is in our individual personal lives, so it is in the church. We have difficulties, not all the time, but at various times throughout our lives. We can't always avoid them, but we can survive them, and sometimes even avoid them if we know what to look for. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Paul's advice to his young protege on dealing with trouble in the church. Have you ever been in a nice restaurant and as you get to the bottom of your iced tea or whatever you're drinking, seen something at the bottom of the glass that should never be in a glass? Pretty disgusting, isn't it? The glass looked clean on the outside but it was anything but clean on the inside. There were people like that in Israel in the Old Testament times, people like that in the times of Jesus, and in the early church, and so on, right up to this very moment. They may look like believers, all clean on the outside, but they're not, and they bring trouble into the church. Today we'll hear the first part of Pastor Steve's third sermon in this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But we'll begin with a parable that Jesus told. So turn to Matthew chapter 13 if you can.
1: In Matthew chapter 13, you ought to turn there because Jesus gave a parable that is very important for us to understand. A parable is a it's an earthly story that is thrown alongside of a heavenly truth in order to illustrate that heavenly truth. The word parable... Is made up of two words, para and balo. Balo is the word to throw. In fact, we get our English word, I, I would assume we get our English word, ball from balo. You throw a ball. Para means beside. So you take a, an earthly story and you put it beside a heavenly truth and you make it clear. It illustrates it. In Matthew chapter 13, at verse 24, Jesus gave a very important parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, that's a very significant parable Because it indicates to us, and it's not difficult to understand, some parables are not quite as easy to understand as this. This is not difficult to grasp. The devil, in this age called the church age, is going to bring forth people who appear to be Christians. He is going to plant counterfeit believers within the church, within the body of Christ, within local fellowships. They're not real, but they appear to be real. They look like they're Christians from the outside, but they aren't. They resemble, in fact, believers so much that even believers can't always tell the difference. And this is not surprising to us because 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light and his ambassadors are like that too. They're counterfeits, they're substitutes, they're not real. However, they're in churches and they go through some of the same outward motions, and sometimes believers can't even tell them apart. Therefore, based upon this parable, we know that the church is going to be filled with tares, not the genuine thing. But they look like the genuine thing. Tares look similar to wheat, but it's not wheat. Unbelievers who pretend to be believers. Now, we cannot always tell who the unbelievers are. It's the point of this parable. And and Jesus said, don't pull them apart because you're liable to hurt some believers in the meantime, too. However, in this day and age, in this church age, they are to continue in the church when you can't notice who they are. However, while we can't always tell who the tares are, sometimes we can, and we have to balance Scripture with Scripture. That is to say that you don't go and pull just this parable and take it to its, an extre- to its extreme form, because the rest of the Bible balances this. There are ways to identify who the tares are. There are identifying marks. And one of the places in which we find a help to identify for us these tares is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So let's turn there. If you have not already turned there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 is one of those helpful balancing passages of Scripture that aid us in identifying the tares, We can't always tell who they are. However, sometimes we can. Sometimes it's rather obvious. Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. Let's read it and then we'll deal with it. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, regarded as, uh, rejected rather, as regards the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, as also though that of those two came to be. Now let's, let's just stop there, because that's really where, as far as we want to go tonight. The key thought in this passage is found in verse 1. In the last days, Timothy, understand this, difficult times will come. The times known as the last days, which means the church age, and we went over this. It does not mean the days just before the return of Christ. It means the church age. When Jesus came, he ushered in the last days. In these days known as the last days, times for the church will be difficult. Society will come into the church and will make things difficult. That's his point. And Timothy is to realize this. Timothy is to understand this. Timothy is to recognize this. Implication being that Timothy thought he could lay low. And if he just laid low for a while, these difficult times which he was experiencing at Ephesus would pass over him. Paul's point is to survive in in the last days, to survive difficult times, menacing, threatening, ugly times is the thought, or difficult, dangerous times. You must know some things, Timothy, and we must know these things also to survive in the sense of uh, being what God wants us to be. Know the permanency of difficult times. Know that it's permanent. Know it's for the whole church age. Know that it's, it's here to stay. You're, we're never going to wake up one day and have all the problems of the church solved. We're never going to wake up and everything will fit. We're never going to reach a point where organization and the right things moving and clicking and there'll never be any more problems. That'll never happen. That's a, that's a fool's paradise to think that that would take place. The church age means that there are going to be problems. There's going to be difficulties for the church. It is permanent, no matter how much we preach, no matter how much we teach, no matter how pure we stay in our leadership, no matter how much evangelism we do, no matter how, our, how pure our motives might be, they're going to be difficult times. And they come in seasons. They come in waves. It's not to say that it's an ongoing type thing. It's not to say that it will hit us continually, but it comes in waves. That's the point here. Difficult times means difficult seasons. Seasons change, except in Florida. Normally, those seasons change. And the point is that the seasons will come and they'll go, but it will be a permanent thing that will, that will last. So it's a, a permanency of difficult times. Secondly, to survive difficult times, we need to know the problem of difficult times. What is the real problem? What's, what's the reason? What's the cause? And the cause, according to verses 2 through 4, are people. People who uh, get into the church and they just mess things up. The reason we have problems in churches is because of people. The church is made up of people. People are the church. And when you get the wrong people in the church, you're going to have problems. He is not talking here about believers. He's talking about the unsaved. He's talking about those who who never knew Christ. And that's why he is so uh, descriptive. He says for men will be lovers of self. They don't love God. The end of verse four says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the root problem. They love themselves and they don't love God. They have never been redeemed. They have never been uh, born again. They have never received salvation. And so all the other characteristics that Paul mentions are simply evidences of that one root sin, and that is a lack of Of love for God and a love for self. That is that the world gravitates around me. And when it does, everybody else has to watch out, because if you get in my way, I'm going to crush you. That's the society's message, and that's what the church buys into, and that's the problem you have. That's why the days are difficult, because people make them difficult. And of course, they're inspired by Satan. He is always behind uh, wrong doctrine. He is always behind wrong behavior. He is the one who sows the tares in the church, and so He is really the source. So now let's continue that, because we looked at it last week, and we went over, I think there are about 19 characteristics of these people. And we went over that, but Paul continues dealing with the problem difficult times. The permanency, yes, but the problem. And the way to survive in threatening and dangerous times is to be able to identify problem people. That's what he's doing. That's his point. He is identifying problem people for you. Remember, Jesus said in the parable that the tares grow up with the wheat and you can't always tell them apart. However, this passage balances that out and tells us that there are exceptions to that general truism. There are exceptions, and this is one of the exceptions where people are so wicked and so obvious that we can tell them apart. That's why the end of verse 5, he says, avoid such men as these. His whole point being, you must be able to recognize them in order to avoid them. So let's let's just continue because... Paul continues going beyond the list of 19 or so moral attributes given in verses 2 through 4. That isn't enough. We need to identify them further, and I hope this will help you because as, as God gives more understanding to us of these things, uh, we'll be able to, to identify these people more easily. Verse 5 tells us a, way to, a mark of identifying them. Not only are they lovers of self, but they're religious. They are religious. Verse 5 says, holding to a form of godliness. Holding to a form of godliness. That is to say, they appear outwardly to be godly and religious. That's their outward appearance. Holding to a form and appearance of godliness. Not that they are godly, but they appear to be. That's the outward form and manifestation. I don't know exactly what Paul had in mind, how how they... Uh, precisely appeared to be godly. My guess is that their religious speculative discussions gave an appearance that they were godly. They would speak about the Old Testament. They would speak about genealogies. That's what he says in the first book uh, of Timothy, 1 Timothy, that they're into speculative knowledge. I would assume then that they went around spouting off things that they didn't know what they were uh, talking about, but they were uh, confident in these assertions that they made, and people were impressed with them, they would use Old Testament language, they would use biblical phrases, they would use some of the theological terms we might use, however... Uh, that's an outward show. Then First Timothy chapter four verse three says, "Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods." I put this together, and I take it that these men went along and they said, "Look how spiritual we are. We're not getting married, and we're telling you you should not get married, and things like that." And what's more, we eat the right kind of foods. We stay away from pork. We stay away from this kind of food. We stay away from from Old Testament foods that God said Israel was not to have, and therefore. Don't we appear to look godly? That's an outward form. That has nothing to do with spirituality. Paul made it very clear what you eat and what you don't. In fact, he went on to say that in First Timothy 4. What you eat and what you don't eat has nothing to do with spirituality. And getting married or not getting married, according to First Corinthians 7, has absolutely nothing to do with Spirituality. That's not the issue at all. Those are external things, not internal. Spirituality is a matter of the heart, not what you wear or what you don't wear, not what you eat or what you don't eat. None of those things. Spirituality is being controlled by the Spirit of God. It is internal, it is not external. However, these people were the type who went along and tried to impress people by their outward appearance. Now, that's not unusual. That's not unusual to have people who are corrupt on the inside but appear to be outwardly pious. That is not unusual. That's the deceitfulness of Satan. And uh, that takes place, that has taken place throughout the history of the church. In fact, it goes beyond the church. It goes back to Israel's time. If you look at Isaiah chapter 1, you'll see that this, this is the problem the prophets faced. You had people in, uh, in Israel who were doing these outward conforming to, to God's laws, but inwardly their heart was corrupt. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14. The prophet, God speaking through him, says this, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. Why would God say, I hate, I hate these things? God gave them the appointed feasts. However, God says, I, I hate what you're doing. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Now, isn't that interesting? Here they were doing the feast that God said to do. They were praying. Is there anything wrong with prayer? Not in and of itself. But God said, you weary me. I'm burdened because of you. Why? Because your hands, at the end of verse 15, your hands are full of bloodshed. You kill... But outwardly, you're religious on Sundays, or in this case, on Saturdays, or on any other day. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, that's the problem. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. I mean, the problem was they were outwardly religious, but inwardly corrupt. Can you think of another group like that? Sure, the Pharisees. Pharisees were like that. Jesus said, you are outwardly clean, but inwardly dirty. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said something very, very interesting about the Pharisees. Now, not all Pharisees were like this, but generally speaking, they were. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are hypocrites. Why? For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. That is to say, their primary concern was to keep the ceremonial laws and and to have clean cups. And they didn't want to defile themselves outwardly. And Jesus said, but inside you're corrupt. Inside you're wicked. Here you are making sure that the utensils that you drink from and eat from are clean, but your heart is filthy. See, it is not unusual to have people who uh, appear to be religious and yet are extremely wicked on the inside. In fact, that appearance is a cover-up for the true reality. You have that today even with believers. You have that with believers who, uh, uh, in fact, it's very dangerous when you hear a man, not always the case, but when you hear a man who preaches on something and is hard on an issue all the time, many times that man has that very sin in his life. Many times. If you hear a man pre, and I'm not saying this is all the time, obviously, but if you hear a man who week after week after week harps and harps and harps only on something like immorality, many times it's discovered that in his own life there's immorality. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Uh, The deceitfulness of sin, um, perhaps a cover up. But there are many people who, who try to cover up for the lack of spirituality in their own life by outwardly appearing to be very spiritual. These people here tried to appear to be saved, but they weren't. They were wicked. And there are people today in churches all over America and all over the world who are meticulous in their attendance, in their giving. They could outgive many people. They are, here, they are at a church every Sunday. They they sometimes pastor a church, sometimes they're on a board, sometimes they've been elders in a church, sometimes they are elders in a church, or deacons, sometimes they teach Sunday school, but they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ, they're lovers of self. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul wrote, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. I mean, their life shows that they don't know him. They profess to know him, but their life shows obviously they don't know him. Why? Because they are lovers of self. They're only Christian in outward appearance. Inside, they're still pagans. They're pagans. Look at the rest of verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. The although is very important. What he's saying there, they, they outwardly look like a Christian. They talk like Christians. They claim to be Christians, but they have denied the very power of the gospel. The gospel has never transformed their life. Regeneration means by its very definition, the life of God has come into us, made us alive. We have become alive, as Dennis has led us in that that song. He liked it so much this morning, we sang it again tonight. Alive, alive. Born again or born from above means that the life of God has come into you. You have been regenerated. You have become alive again. And that life in us is the, is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel. It is Christ himself. But these people have never experienced salvation. They have denied the very power that makes a person godly. Uh, the gospel transforms us. It makes us clean and change on the inside. That's why our outward behavior is different. We don't reform ourselves. We don't we don't come up with a set of rules. That's legalism. True spirituality is I have been changed on the inside by the Spirit of God. I have been made new in Christ. Therefore, my life will evidence that. That's his point. They have denied that. They have outward show of religion without the internal reality. They have form without power. Form without power. And look, that's the problem we face in in the church today. People who claim to be Christians, who speak about God, outwardly they look good, they appear holy, but they are fakes. They are deceivers. They are pagans in Christian uh, appearance. They do what they do for show. They want to impress people. Not because it arises out of a heart that has been redeemed, out of a heart that loves Christ, out of a heart that wants to obey because the Word of God says it, and that's why I want to do it. No, they do it to show people how wonderful they are. Remember, these are the people, in case you you question that, these are the people, going back to verse 2, who are lovers of self. They care about one thing and only one thing themselves. They don't care about the Lord. That's the difference between uh, true Christians and the unsaved. True Christians struggle with loving self. Non-Christians don't struggle with it. They just love self. There's only one reason they do things, and that's to look good. All of us struggle with doing things to look good. However, there is another motive added to that, and that's that we want to obey the Lord. But with unbelievers, there is no struggle. There is no other motive. That's it. Just self.
0: I've heard it said that pigs get dirty, but so do sheep. The difference is that pigs like it. Well, we all sin, but do you regret the sin for what it is, or do you shrug it off as just being who you are? It seems counterintuitive, but struggling against temptation is a good sign. It shows that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our series from 2 Timothy, Chapter 3, about surviving in difficult times. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Stop in some Sunday if you're nearby and looking for a place to worship. You can find out more by calling the church office at 727-441-1714 or on the internet, lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Chapel, but we still depend in large part on our listeners for financial and prayer support. We deeply appreciate the generosity of people moved by the Lord to give to Verse by Verse over and above their gifts to their own home churches. We have information about giving at our website, versebyverseradio.org, or call Lakeside at 727 441 1714. The web address, once more, is versebyverseradio.org. Please be sure to visit our message archive page while you're there and take advantage of the hundreds of previous broadcasts that are freely available. Just a quick word to our blind listeners. Would you like a free audio Bible? If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind, you can get one by calling 800-838-5924 or visiting www.blindbibles.com. That number is 800-838-5924. This is Jerry Peterson. Over the years, I've heard several people new to my church express surprise that we have asked people to leave because of unrepentant sin. The Bible makes it clear how to handle such issues, but many churches don't follow those instructions. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be discussing that topic along with giving us more methods by which we can identify these wolves in sheep's clothing when they creep into our local congregation. I hope you can be here.